So this is going to be a, a bit of a test, I think. Uh, I was not planning on recording an episode. I have pr- done zero preparation to record this episode. As a matter of fact, I was. it's a really shitty rainy day in Austin right now. Actually, I'm not going to say shitty because any rain in Texas is good at this point. And so I appreciate, or at least my yard appreciates it. Uh, but uh, typically what I do... Uh, before I do an episode of, of Face as I go ride up my bike and collect my thoughts. But because it's such a shitty rainy day, I'm sorry, it's just a rainy day, I decided to just go for a drive instead and kind of... <laughs> I have this story I want to tell from my honeymoon uh, that I think is pretty funny about how I misunderstood the assignment. And so I was trying to work out how to tell it in my in my head. But then my mind started to wander and I was listening to music. And I think as you do on gray days, right, when it's a little rainy... And it's like a, I don't know, there's like a, there's like a sadness to a rainy day that is kind of fun to to dip in and out of from time to time. And so I was just in that vibe, I guess, driving around, just uh, my mind started to wander and I was uh, listening to some old music and I got to thinking about how much I used to connect with this particular band and how I no longer do and and just about the idea of losing a connection to a thing that you're that is important to you at a at a place in time i think i I maybe feel it most strongly with books uh i guess more than anything but you you're subjected (laughs) subjected is totally well i guess if you're in school and they force you to read something that's the, the, the appropriate term but you're introduced to something uh, at a point in your life when it really speaks to you. Uh, as an example, in the mid-90s, the beat generation kind of went through a renaissance. If you weren't around uh, at that time, you might not know this, but you know, you know, everything is cyclical, right? So in the, like the early to mid-90s, we were just coming off of our Tom Robbins uh, era, which was, if you don't know who Tom Robbins is, he was a, a really fantastic... I guess he probably still is a really fantastic novelist. I don't know that he's dead or not. Is he alive? I need to look and see if he's alive. Hold on a second. Oh, hell yeah. He's still alive. Okay. Tom Robbins is still alive. Anyway, uh, we we had this like the late at the very end of the 80s into the early 90s, we had this Tom Robbins era where everybody was in love with Tom Robbins. If you were cool, you were reading like, oh, God, uh, Skinny Legs and All, uh, Even Cowgirls Got the Blues, which was obviously a big movie. With Uma Thurman, Still Life of the Woodpecker, Jitterbug Perfume, uh, Another Roadside Attraction. I think that's all of his books that I've read or that I can remember. Anyway, he was very popular and he like definitely like hit people in the in the gut culturally at that time. And and then as that was cresting and ending or waning, I guess, we started to go into this. Uh, this is a very long, drawn out way to explain where I'm going, but. I guess that's kind of the point of this podcast, so I shouldn't feel guilty about it. Uh, we, we started to go into a uh, this this beat renaissance, and it didn't last very long. It I think that we went into that, and then we came out of that and went into swing, which lasted too long. Uh, if if I'm being honest with you, but we were in this 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 like beat renaissance where there were uh, a bunch of movies uh, coming out, and everybody was rereading. Uh, Jack Kerouac, everybody was rereading On the Road, and Allen Ginsberg had a moment, and then William S. Burroughs had a big moment again. I remember everybody was really into to, to him briefly. 
myself included, I actually had a William S. Burroughs tattoo for a really long time. Although I guess if you don't get a tattoo removed, you always still have it. It's just under another tattoo. But I read, uh, yeah, I was, I, I had a, definitely had a hard William S. Burroughs face. Brief but hard William S. Burroughs face. Anyway, I don't know where I was fucking going with that. Anyway, we were in the middle of that, like, the, there was a, a movie that came out that was kind of a big deal in the indie circuit. It was called The Last Time I Committed Suicide. And it was Jack Kerouac adjacent. I believe it was about his best friend, Dean. And a book that he wrote, which I also read, which wasn't a very good book. Anyway, at that point in my life, I was probably at the height of my wanderlust. I was at the tail end of being in the military. So I was like 21, 22, 23, somewhere on there. And really feeling the weight of the five-year commitment that I had uh, obligated myself to in, in the United States Army. As much fun as I had uh, at times and as exciting as it was to see the world and to do a lot of really wild uh, and, and unique shit, uh, I was very fortunate to be a journalist and a photographer in the military. So I got to do like a little bit of everything, which was awesome. It's like on a Monday, you get to go be a sapper. And then on Tuesday you're a signal guy. And then on Wednesday, you get to go up with the Blackhawks or whatever, you know, it was just like, it never, it was never boring. I'll give it that. But it was also the fucking military and I wore camouflage to work every day. And I was told when I could eat and when I could go to bed and when I had weekends off and when I was deploying across the world. And I, uh, I, you know, you're like 21, 22 years old. You've already been doing that for three or four years. You really, you, like I flew the nest from, you know, my parents' house in Alabama into the fucking army. And so there wasn't ever really any freedom uh, from one to the other, you know? Not that I was particularly oppressed at home as a teenager, but, you know, you want to leave home and, and, and strike out on your own and, and uh, become your own man, become your own person. And uh, it's, you know, you get a bit of that in the military, but there's still people literally scheduling your life down to the minute. And so... It's not a whole hell of a lot of the idea of freedom. And so my, my wanderlust was at an all-time high at that point. Plus, I think it's just the time in your life when you're figuring either going into a new situation like college or maybe you're just coming out of it and then trying to figure out the next phase of your life or you're just trying to figure out your life. And it's probably when you are the most receptive to wanderlust and that idea that you could go, you know, you're not probably super tied down yet. You could go anywhere, do anything. It's... uh. It's actually a really fun and exciting time in any anybody's life, I think. But I had it the, the most right there, especially because I was near the end of the Army and I knew I would be out. And I really didn't know what the fuck I was going to do after I got out of the Army. I just knew I wasn't going to re-enlist. You know? I knew that I was 100% definitely getting the fuck out of the Army. And so I read, I got really into, as did everybody uh, at that time, I got really into the Beat Generation. I had grown up loving, uh, and I've actually thought about talking about it on this show at some point. Maybe I'll do an episode to it, but I'd grown up loving Dobie Gillis, the many loves of Dobie Gillis on TV. And uh, that was like a, a 50s sitcom about a high school kid who was just in love with girls and was always like kind of following his failed dating uh, shenanigans. And uh, his best friend was was actually Gilligan, Bob Denver. And, is that his name, Bob Denver? I don't get that right. Bob Denver. You don't want to get Bob Denver and John Denver confused, too. Those, uh, those audiences hate each other. I don't know if that's true. I made that up. But anyway, Bob Denver, he played a character named Maynard G. Krebs, and he was a, he was a beatnik. He was a very cartoonish beatnik, but I was so fascinated by him as a kid, and I really looked up to him because he was just fucking out there, and he had like this 
goofy goatee and he played the bongo drums and he was just like far out and he had his own language and he was uh he was very counterculture he was one of uh, my first introductions to counterculture even though it was a very sanitized very safe 1950s uh version of it it was uh you know definitely i was definitely attracted to it early on so i i was predisposed to like uh, the beatniks and the beat generation. And I actually think if you, if you read about it and like where the name beat comes from, and maybe I should do an episode on that at some point. Uh, it seems like I should probably, cause I think it's fascinating. Has a lot to do with the end of the war and people, young people having a lack of direction and not really, and just looking beat down because they're just walking around, just looking beat to shit. Cause they really didn't know what to do with their lives. And there weren't a lot of opportunities in, in that moment. And so that's, that's how the name got coined, at least as I understand it. But I read On the Road, and I liked it a lot. I liked it enough that I read his next book, The Dharma Bums, and then the one after that, Big Sur, which I also really loved. But Dharma Bums, for whatever reason, that's the book that spoke to me and my wanderlust, and it connected with me on such a, like, on such a core level, like it was speaking to my soul, you know, like I, I felt myself in that book. I felt like I was like those characters. I felt like I wanted to be like those characters. I thought that that's where I wanted to go in life after I got out of the military. I wanted to become this nomadic traveling from experience to experience beatnik punk guy with with no obligations i kind of wanted to be like bill bixby in the incredible hulk or, or or like david carradine in kung fu and i had this idea that i could be the current day version of jack kerouac in 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 his adventures in on the road in the dharma bums i i didn't by the way it didn't none of that shit happened at, not, not even came close Talk about unrealized plans. Oh, my God. I, I was married and locked down. And by the time I, I think I had a mortgage by 20, by the end of, before I turned 24, I had a mortgage already. Uh, like it was, I, I couldn't have, <laughs> the pendulum couldn't have swung harder in the other direction after I got out of the military. Turns out I was way too responsible to be uh, anywhere near a Jack Kerouac. But man, did I live, I live a lot of those fantasies in my head for a long time. And so the Dharma bums, it, it like spoke so intensely to me. I read it. I remember I read it back to back because I just, I, ha I couldn't leave the world. I couldn't leave the, those ideas and I couldn't leave those feelings. And I just, I wanted to be, I wanted to get up on that mountain and I wanted solitude and I wanted to, 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 to fall in and out of love at different points in my life. And I wanted to go from mishap to adventure to experience and, and never leave too large of a footprint when I left. And, and I just had all these ideas. And, and, and I think that that book really exemplified who I thought I was going to be to such a degree. And then I tried to read it again in my early thirties and I couldn't get past like page 30 and I couldn't connect with it at all. And it really bummed me out. And I don't know, it kind of hurt because I, I had such a reverence for the book and for the memories. And so I thought, well, this must not be the right time then. And so I, I tried again in my late 30s briefly, and uh, I didn't even make it as far as the second time or the other time. And then I tried, I don't know, like maybe three years ago and decided I'm going to get through the Dharma Bums. And I just, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't enjoy, I, I couldn't force myself to read it. I still. And like whatever, whatever connection I had with that book is just fucking gone. And I have a memory of that connection and it's a really sweet memory and, and I have a fondness for the book and for Jack Kerouac and, and for what it meant to me at a time in my life when I read it. But 
damn, I just don't, I, I, I can't get there anymore. I can't even get close. I have the same problem with people ask me what my favorite book is. And I tell them catch 22 by Joseph Heller, because when I read that book, it like similarly to what I'm talking about. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of wanderlust wrapped up and, and, and a lot of f- fantasizing about getting out of a situation that I was in uh, when I read Dharma Bums, whereas Catch-22, it just, it just was beautiful. It was heartbreaking and it was hilarious and in equal measure, I'll say. And I thought it was brilliant and clever and tragic and terrible. And it elucidated, it really spoke to me, I, another book I read in the military, it really spoke to me about the military because I was in the military at the time. And I was, I think everybody in the military is kind of afraid of being caught in that catch-22 situation because when you give up control of your life to another entity, in this case, the United States military, they uh, have the opportunity and the ability to to alter uh, <laughs> alter your future in ways that you don't necessarily anticipate. And so it doesn't happen all the time, but, you know, it does happen, as is evidenced by everybody who got called back to active duty during the Gulf War. You know, people, I, uh, family members I had uh, were. But more than that, I think it was just a really fucking good book. Just a really, really, really good book. And I even remember reading a, a quote somewhere. Actually, I'm going to look it up, see if I can find it, because I think it's one of the best fucking quotes ever. Well, I can't find the I can't find the exact quote, and I'm not going to spend the rest of my life looking for it. But the gist of it, I'll paraphrase, was he's interviewed by this dude. I think it was meant to be kind of a gotcha question in my memory, at least. The guy was like, you know, you you kind of had lightning in a bottle in Catch Twenty Two, and you've written a bunch of stuff since then, but you've never really recaptured the lightning in the bottle of Catch Twenty Two. And Joseph Heller looked at the dude and goes, "Uh, who has?" Which I think is such a fucking awesome retort and such a ballsy retort. To somebody who was clearly, you know, I think being a little derisive with the question. And uh, anyway, I could sit here and talk about Catch-22 forever and why I loved it. But the point is, is that I loved it. I loved it so much that I instantly knew it was my favorite book and that it meant the most to me uh, out of anything else I'd ever read. And I read it again three or four years after that and connected with it in the exact same way when I was like maybe 27, 26, 27 and just knew that this was going to be a book that I was going to revisit throughout my life. And I have been, anytime anybody asks me what my favorite book is, to this day, I still say Catch-22. Uh, it, it, I, I, I can't think of another book that impacted me in the way that it did when it did. However, I tried to read it a couple years after that in my early 30s, and I, uh, I couldn't. I, I was really surprised that I, I was really weighed down by the prose, and, and it kind of bugged me. And the stuff that I thought was funnier when I was younger. I wasn't landing with me as much. And so I put it back on the shelf and said, this is not the right time to read this. I tried maybe like a year later, I got the audiobook and I tried to listen to the audiobook and I, I got bored. Couldn't, couldn't make my way through it. And then I, uh, I decided that I'm never going to read that book again, that I don't want to experience the same kind of frustration that I have with, with the Dharma bums. And so I'm just going to I'm just going to remember how much I loved that book. I'm going to remember I can remember very clearly what it meant to me and what it felt like and how important it was to me and I don't want any further attempts at reading it to diminish that. So I'm just going to I'm just going to accept that that book may no longer be for me. But goddamn dude, when it was for me, it was for me harder than anything else I'd ever experienced and uh, I'll still call it my favorite book for the rest of my life even if I can't get through it now 
just because of how much it meant to me when it meant so much to me. And it's weird, you know, I, I, I got off on this tangent because I was thinking about a band. I was thinking about a band called J Church that meant a tremendous amount to me and that I, I'm, I'm undecided on if I'm in this territory with or not. Uh, and so it's been kind of, I guess, in my subconscious thinking about this because I don't, I don't want to fall out of love with something that meant so much to me and for a really long time. And so I'm going to take a little break from, from that band uh, because I don't, I think it would be the saddest thing in the world to lose, to lose a connection. I'm, I'm really sick of getting older and losing connections to things. And I know it's inevitable. Uh, I, you know, I've experienced it from both sides of the coin. I've had people come up to me and tell me that they loved Achievement Hunter or Red versus Blue at a period in their life, but they just can't connect with it anymore. And that they're, they thank me for loving it when they loved it. And, uh, and I think that that's awesome. And I really appreciate that. And I totally understand because I have the same thing. You can't love a thing. F- I guess you can. You absolutely can love a thing forever. I, the things that I love today, I've loved my whole life. Riding bicycles, listening to music, playing video games, uh, collecting baseball cards. Clearly, I've loved those things my entire life. But some stuff you just can't hold on to. And it's, it's okay, I think, to let it go. Especially if you hold on to the memories of how important it was to you or how much it meant to you uh, or how you know deeply it spoke to you at a period in your life, whether that be a punk rock band or a counterculture novel or a video game or some dumb web cartoon. I guess it's better. I think it should just be enough that we loved it when we did. And so I'll never read Catch-22 again, but goddamn, do I love that book. All right, 